Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And welcome to the broadcast. This is Jeremiah Johnston. Are you concerned about the next generation and all the numbers, the stories, and the statistics that you are seeing published about the loss of faith among those that are youngest right now. Of course, I'm talking about Generation Z, those born between 2000 and 2015. Well, I am certainly concerned about this generation, first and foremost, as a father of five Generation Zs. Um, Friends, I have four sons and one daughter, as many of you know, and I am concerned about this generation because they are encountering a skepticism that is truly at a collegiate level. And so as careful Christian thinkers, as those who think critically, not uncritically, Knowing that all truth is God's truth, knowing we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit on our side, we need to be able to equip and reach this next generation with the dynamic gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to give as much time for our two fantastic guests that I have joining us. They're waiting on hold right now. I'm talking about two great friends, Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell. Both are professors at Biola in Los Angeles. Both have national platforms and national ministries. Of course, Detective Jay Warner Wallace is a cold-cased homicide detective. He's a popular national speaker, best-selling author. And he continues to consult even on cold case investigations today. He's great on evidences for the Christian faith, and he's just a great guy as well. And also our dear friend Sean McDowell, gifted communicator with a passion for equipping the church, and in particular, young people, to make the case for the Christian faith. He's also, as I mentioned, a professor in the Christian Apologetics Program at Biola University, also a dynamic and gifted speaker. These guys are great Christian men, great fathers, great husbands, and I'm excited to get right into the conversation. They've written a book called So the Next Generation Will Know, all about equipping this next generation, Generation Z, with the gospel. I know you're concerned as I am. This is a program you're going to want to probably listen to a second time. We have a lot to talk about, a lot to catch up on, plus we're taking your questions at AskJJJ. Stay with us. I'll be back in 90 seconds with Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell talking about So the Next Generation Will Know. Welcome back to the program, friends. This is Jeremiah Johnston. So delighted to have two titans on the line with us today. You will be no stranger to either one of them, friends. I have joining us uh, via phone today, Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell. Jim and Sean, great to have you guys on the program. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So, friends, uh, right at the outset, you have to, if you don't already, you've got to connect with these gents on social media. Jay Warner Wallace, who I will refer to because he's my friend, is Jim. But just so you know who I'm talking about, you can follow him on Twitter, at Jay Warner Wallace. And then Sean McDowell on Twitter is at Sean underscore 
McDowell. These guys are dropping wisdom all the time. Their social media feeds are just constant uh, equipping and resourcing for loving God with your heart, soul, and mind. So, guys, thanks for your efforts on social media. I want to jump right in. You all have teamed up with David C. Cook, as publisher, on a really great book. I want to compliment you guys. It's called So the Next Generation Will Know. And what I love about what you've done in this book, and I encourage everyone listening both across Faith Radio Network Live and those in the podcast and archive and, and also on the blog later, why I think all of you need to have this program is you all have fused together the best research but with the best tactics for helping this next generation know Jesus. So, Jim, I want to start with you. I'm hearing so much negative about the next generation are they totally lost, or is there hope that we can reach them? <laughs> you know how that is, where each generation has a tendency to point to the one or two below them and say, you know, when I was a kid, we did it so much better. We, at, at some point, you become that cranky old man who wants to get everybody off of his lawn. Yeah. And I think we have a tendency just to do that anyway, with no matter what generation we're looking at. I'm a boomer, okay, so I'm older than Sean, and I'm now three generations away from Gen Z. At the same time... You know, don't we all wish we were high schoolers? Don't we all wish mm-hmm. that we could could go back to that time with the wisdom we have and live it all over? I mean, I, there's some part of me that says I want to be able to connect with young people because I don't want to be an old man who wants to chase everyone off the lawn. So mm-hmm. I think that we have a choice about if we could always find something about any one of these demographics, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, you could find something you don't like. You could. Easily, because it's not like you, and that's what we typically do. It's not like us now. But this is a generation that I think has incredible potential, sitting at the precipice of a new age, the information age, and has the opportunity to do something great or let something go derailed. And so I think that the potential alone is enough for me to say, hey, they're worthy of our time. And Jim, just define for our audience, if you would. You just said Generation Z. Who is that for the benefit of our audience? And then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So sometimes people will say, "Well, if they're born around 2000, it's kind of a it's a it's a it's a it's, a, it's if you have a teenager or a pre-teenager in your home right now, then you've got a Gen Z. If you got so, someone younger than that, you also have a Gen Z. Okay, but my point is that's typically, and if you're looking at well, what's the age range? It's probably three to twenty. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure. You probably yep. could go all the way from birth to 20, but sometimes generations are about 15 to 18 years between each generation. But let's put it this way. These are the post-millennial generation, the generation that grew up from start to finish with the, the glowing rectangle at the end of their arm. You know, they're in the digital world. Yep. They're called digital natives. That's what we're talking about in this book. It's the generation that if you poll them are the least likely to be uh, entranced or in, enthusiastic about church, uh, about the idea of whether God exists. This is a, a generation that that largely is probably less inclined to be interested in the things of God than any other generation. So that's why another reason why I think we both think that this is the generation that we want to reach the most yes. desperately. Absolutely. And so, Sean, that's a fascinating point. I want to pick right up on that with you. And, and we're all concerned. I mean, everyone listening to you right now is concerned because this generation, there's so many things that we don't know what we don't know about them. The first generation that's grown up with, you know, instant, you can talk about it for days, Sean, instant access to the Internet, the, the pressures of social media, uh, so much pressure. And yet you write on page 36 that young, and again, friends, it's so the next generation will know, young people who leave Christianity are not necessarily leaving God. Tell us more. Yeah, this is really important because there's been a lot of talk recently about the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Mm. And how you go back to 1960 in the UCLA freshman study, only 6.6% of people did not define themselves by a particular religion. 
Now it's about 30% or higher as you get to Gen Z. So a lot of people assume, oh, my goodness, they're all atheists, they're all Gnostics, they've all left the church. And partly what we say in the book is we say, yes, there's reason to pay attention and concern, but let's slow down and see what's actually going on. One of the trends that's going on is that people are just, at least Gen Z, are are more reluctant to define themselves by faith and religion as previous generations did. It's just Mm. not the designation that they use when identifying themselves. So you look at the nuns, many of them believe in God. Uh, Some of them are conservative, although they tend to be more progressive. Uh, Some of them read their Bibles and some of them pray. So I think really what's happened with this shift to the nuns is culturally people just used to say, hey, you know, if you're American, you like baseball and apple pie and I'm a Christian. Mm. Now there's kind of this nuns that are saying, wait a minute, if I never really believed this, given some of the challenge of being a Christian and the way it's negatively depicted more often today than the past, why am I choosing this designation? So it's like this middle ground of people who just adopted the label Christian are hollowing out and people are going to one side or the other. And Sean, I mean, I want to ask you about this because some people have a faith where there's always a boogeyman. There's a lot of Christian leaders. There's always a boogeyman. I've not designed my life that way. That's not how I see the world. I think that we have more evidence now available that that buttresses our faith and at any other time in history. I think there are the best reasons of all time, the best evidence to be a follower of Jesus. So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but these are sobering statistics. I mean, where is this generation going if we don't reach them? I mean, are we one generation away from heresy? I mean, why do we need to be trained how to reach this digitally native generation? Well, we are seeing some kids abandoning their faith, which is a smaller percentage, we're seeing quite a few abandoning the church. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they don't believe in God and don't have a Christian faith. But I think the question that is still open for younger millennials and Gen Zers is, will they come back to the church when they get into their upper 20s and 30s and they get married, get a full-time job, and have kids, is historically when people re-come back into the faith. Well, Mm. given that people are pushing off getting married to a later time if they even get married and there's increasing singleness and less people having kids. That's right. Plus we're just seeing less people define themselves religiously. I still think we don't really know exactly where many in this generation will be in eight to 10 years from now. Now the good news is it's actually Bible teaching and believing churches that are relationally engaged in this generation that are having success passing on the faith there is a positive we have to see but we're taking this book saying wait a minute we can't take this for granted as we've done in the past here's some things we need to do just because god has called us to do this and because second this generation just has more challenges because it's digital as jim mentioned than any previous generation If you're just joining us across Faith Radio Network or on the podcast, uh, this is Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace, two exceptional Christian thinkers, speakers, communicators, defenders of the faith. Um, What I love, Jim, what you all have done with this book is, yes, we need to provide reasonable explanations, but we also need authentic relationships. Can you just wax about that for a moment? Because that was a big takeaway for me reading your book. 
you know this even as a speaker, right? When you speak to an audience, the first thing you're trying to do is to develop it as best you can a relationship with the audience that is maybe brief, is quick, a sense of transparency, a sense of connection with an audience is important just as a public speaker, right? Well, this is a generation that for the most part has lots of relationships that are largely digital. In other words, they're not necessarily a face-to-face relationship. And it turns out that they're bombarded by opportunities to examine truth in the information age. They've got access to everything. They're great researchers. They're incredible fact checkers. We even see this as we're teaching students. We teach at some at Worldview Ministries. I'll tell you, by the time we get to the uh, porch at 6 o'clock after we taught them all morning and they want to ask questions on the af- in the afternoon, they have done some research on the claims that we made in the morning. And they did that research largely, uh, and they were busy that day too, but they were able to do it quickly on their phones. So this is a generation that has access to truth and to truth claims. But it turns out the most influential truth claims you will ever make are the ones you make in the context of relationship. And that's the one advantage that we have as parents, as Christian educators, as youth pastors. We ought to know our kids and be in a position where if we have any sense of authority, any ability to to, to master a topic – as well as that source online, we ought to be more influential than that source online because we're the one set of group, set of uh, leaders, parents, educators, and pastors that ought to have a personal relationship with the person we're trying to communicate truth to. This is why mm-hmm. Sean and I always say, after we're at a, an event and somebody comes up and says, you know, my 22-year-old is no longer in the faith. Can I get a book for her or for him? We're like, yeah, you, we can write a book to him. We can sign a book for him. But to be honest, they're probably not going to read it. I mean, they're asking you these questions. You have a relationship with them. I would far prefer that you read the book, that you master the topic, that you become the best kind of Christian worldview communicator that your kids know because it turns out that that truth accompanied with relationships. Now, nobody likes to hear that only because I think it takes time and it's harder to develop relationships than it is just to master the truth and to make the claim. But it turns out that those two things together are the most powerful influencers we have as Christian parents. Jim, we only have about uh, 90 seconds, but just walk us through the book because there's really two major sections to the book. Just guide us by the hand, if you would, for a moment. What we're trying to do is to first help you understand the generation we're trying to reach and then teach you practical principles that will help you to see the opportunities you already have. We're not asking you to put a bunch more stuff in your life to learn a new set of techniques. No, we're simply going to show you where the opportunities already are in your relationships with your kids or with your youth pastorate or with your classroom and that you can actually maximize to better teach them Christian worldview, to better secure these claims of the Christian worldview. And some of those strategies are really very simple. And I'm amazed when I get people reviewing the book who are already teaching it. I mean, they're already a youth pastor, and they're reviewing the book, and they're going, wow, these are, this is so helpful. I'm, I'm thinking, well, okay, that's what I love about this approach. We are not going to burden you or make you feel guilty for the things you could have done, should have done, <laughs> and haven't been doing. Instead, exactly. we're just going to give you simple tools. I love it. And friends, again, if you're just joining us, Jay Warner Wallace, Sean McDowell, the book is So the Next Generation Will Know. The book is written in a format that is very, very practical. That's what I love about the great work that these gentlemen have done for the kingdom of God. Uh, There are these on the side of the pages. If you haven't seen the book yet, friends, there's just these great little quick hints at truth and how how you can apply what they're saying immediately in your situation, in your context, in your community of faith. So much more, though, that we have to discuss. When we come back, I want to talk more to Sean first about this whole nature of having building a relationship. Because have you noticed the longer that we walk with Jesus, it seems like the fewer and fewer non-Christian friends 
we have and relationships we have. So I want to talk to Sean about what he's written in this book, Right to Your Life, how you can pick up today and actually enhance those relationships with people who don't know Jesus. Stay with us. We're going to be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show, friends. You're joining us live right now on Faith Radio Network. I have two great friends of mine, two individuals who are being greatly used of Almighty God, two people who are on the front lines as defenders of the faith. And let me just say for the entire network audience, I hope that you are praying for Jay Warner Wallace and his dynamic uh, incredible, really, cold case Christianity ministry. You know him as the cold case detective who has this great evidential approach. What I love, evidence. There is great evidence for the faith. Um, I know you've followed him and read and probably have several of his books as I do. And, of course, our dear friend, Dr. Sean McDowell, a great professor from Biola University, someone who has just a incredibly uncanny gift to connect with people. If you missed the program that I did with Sean a few months ago, we really talked about role-playing. I just want to encourage you to go back on the podcast archive, check out that program. Friends, today we're talking about their dynamic book, So the Next Generation Will Know. Now, guys, I grew up as a heavyweight boxing champion. I I grew up in one of those homes where we bought the pay-per-view fights, and we stayed up late, and we watched the Friends, George Foreman, the former heavyweight champ, endorsed this book, so you've got to buy it, okay? There's just no choice. Um, It's forwarded by MVP, Super Bowl-winning quarterback Nick Foles. Guys, great job on the book. Um, I want to pick up... Uh, where we left off, Sean, we're talking about the need for Generation Z to, yes, have reasonable answers, evidential answers, but they crave those within the ecosystem, if you will, of an actual authentic relationship, someone who loves them, someone who cares for them. And, Sean, I know it was you. I was listening to a message you gave, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase you, Sean, but you said no one's going to walk up to you at the supermarket and be like, hey, I don't know Jesus. I'm really having a cruddy time of my life. Will you tell me the way to the Lord? <laughs> Nobody has those kind of dialogues. And yet I noticed that one of the trends in the church is that there are fewer and fewer people that have authentic relationships with people who don't know Jesus. So take it from there and just talk about out of your book how we can enhance this aspect of our lives. Well, if you look in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul talks about the church in Thessalonica, and he says, I delivered the gospel to you, but also gave you my very own life. And when I read that, I thought, oh my goodness, mm. he's delivering truth to them, but he's doing it incarnationally. He's doing it relationally. So as we look at this generation, I really think, broadly speaking, there's two reasons why many in this generation – disengage the faith. One is they're just convinced it's not true or it's not good on the level of ideas. Or what happens is they have a broken relationship and then just walk away because it's not meaningful to them. So on this relational side, the largest study I'm aware of, Jeremiah, was 3,500 people, 35 years, four generations and it was done by a USC professor named Vern Bengston. And he wrote in his book, I think it was about 2013 with Oxford Press, and what he writes is, the single most significant factor in faith transmission was a, quote, warm relationship with the Father. Hmm. Now that is powerful. That is so powerful. And that frames how we look at the book. We say, especially this generation, which is full of paradoxes, they have more information but they're probably more confused. They have more ways to connect, 
but probably more relationally disconnected. What we're appealing to as parents, youth pastors, uncles, coaches, teachers, any caring adult, and if we really want to influence this generation, we have to step personally into their lives and build relational capital so we even have the right to speak into their lives. Well, let me hop in for a second and just affirm what Sean just said. Think about how many times Paul, when trying to um, urge a church in a letter to take a certain position, to, to adopt a certain behavior, to return to something that they know better they should be doing, he always leverages his personal relationships. Didn't I do this? Did I ever do that? Did I? Mm. It's constantly returning to his relationship with those people who you knew personally to make the claim. That is so powerful. I think that when you're talking about building relationships, if you want me to know, and we start every chapter of this book with the word love, what, how does love, love manifest that. itself in the life of our young people? Well, it turns out there's many different aspects of how we can love young people. And one of the ways I always talk about is it's, it's what, we don't really spend enough time, I think, talking about the issue that what you love is the stuff that – I can figure that out, by the way, if I just can follow you for a few days because I'll see mm-hmm. what you're spending your time on. Because what you're spending your time on, let's be honest, that's what you love. You can say all kinds of things, but what you spend your time on, what you spend your resources on, what you spend your money on, these are the things you really love. And I've seen, I've been in families. My, my families not, were not Christians growing up. There were lots of stuff we loved. We loved music, and, and, I, and that, that was passed on to me from my, my dad and from my family. We loved the Dallas Cowboys growing up because that was passed on to me from my grandfather. So, I mean, you, you, you're passing on something in context of relationship already, right now. You're already doing that. The question is, are we as excited about the things of God as we are about all the other stuff that when finally we get to go to a game, we say, we get to go to this game. When's the last time you said to your kids, we get to go to church, we get to go on this missions trip, we get mm-hmm. to do this thing for God? You know, we don't often do that. And I think that part of what building a relationship is going to require us to, to carve the time for relationships. Yeah. And this is coming from two guys, Sean and I, who spend a lot of time traveling to speak Absolutely. to Omni. And you do too. And so you know that that's the challenge. You never, I never have regret over missing an opportunity to speak. But I do have regrets in those aspects of where I knew I dropped the ball on my responsibility as a dad. Hmm. So I, I think a lot of this is about I, I'd rather have, oh, I kind of missed that chance, rather than, oh, I regret this. Yeah. So in the end, we try to make an argument when we first start that every one of us, whether you've got a child, my kids are all grown, but I feel like I'm still in the middle of this. And I don't have kids in this age group anymore, but I'm part of the church, and the church has kids, and we are all a family. And it's time for us to decide that, hey, this is so important that even if I don't have kids who are Gen Z, those Gen Z kids are part of my responsibility if I'm in this church. And I say church with a big C, not, not whatever small church you might be in. And so I think for us, it's a matter of us saying, hey, first of all, are we dedicated to spending the time necessary, to reprioritizing our time necessary to do this right? Such a powerful point, friends. You're listening to Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell. Be sure you connect with them on social media at Jay Warner Wallace on Twitter and at Sean underscore McDowell on Twitter. Follow them both. Um, Jim. Sean, these answers, you guys are dropping so much wisdom on us right now. I know this is a program that our friends listening are going to want to listen to again. And I I experienced this firsthand. Um, My favorite pizza place in Oxford, when Audrey and I lived there from 2009 into 2012, was an abandoned church 
that apparently did not care in their mission about the next generation because I did some research on this. It's called Freud, by the way. It still stands. You can look it up on TripAdvisor. It's a bar and a pizza place <laughs> inside. <laughs> That's oddly the name of it, Freud, of course. Uh, but literally the next generation just either died or stopped coming, and this church became abandoned. And, I mean, Sean, you have Generation Z kids. So, and what I love and appreciate about you both, you guys are relatable. You have a likability factor to your, just a swagger to your lives that makes people want to listen to what you have to say. So, Sean, I mean, you're a dad. Can you just take, we have a lot of parents connecting with us, a lot of single parents. What are things you do in the McDowell home that help you reach out to Generation Z? Well, let me frame this and then just give a a couple practical ways to do that. We start off the book by saying love sacrifices. And I, I had taken my son maybe two or three years ago, out, years ago, and he was three years old, in the morning before school just to get Starbucks, and we were hanging out and having coffee, just relating together. And this guy leans over to me, and he was maybe a decade, decade and a half ahead of me. He goes, you know, good for you. And I, of course, said, thanks. What are you talking about? He goes, well, <laughs> yeah. I can tell you you're, you're spending time with your son. He goes, I sacrificed a lot in my real estate business. And he looked at me, he goes, a lot of money to spend time with my kids, Mm. but I don't relate it. I'm sorry, I don't regret it one bit. And it hit me as I reflected on that. I thought, you know what? We sacrifice for what matters for us. Mm. Well, that's the question we have to ask of this generation. What are we willing to sacrifice? Because I guarantee you, Jeremiah, every single person listening to this right now, probably most are Christians, can think of adults in their life, a teacher, a mentor, a neighbor, a coach, a youth pastor, just a caring adult down the street who sacrificed in some fashion so they have the faith handed to them. And I bet everybody listening right now, if they pause for half a second, could think of a few people in particular that shaped their life eternally. Well, what we have to ask as adults is, to whom are we having that kind of influence? Who are we sacrificing our own money for, our own dreams for, our own hobbies for, to relate to this generation. And it doesn't always have to be these big things. My dad, when he gets on stage, loves to tell these stories of, like, taking me to test drive these Lamborghinis and Ferraris (laughs) when I was a kid. Like, these really cool, fun, special things, and those are important to do with your kids. But also just the little things daily going... How do I connect with my kids? So I played hoops a couple decades ago, and this past Saturday, my son was like, Dad, we open the gym and come play hoops with me and my friends. He's 15. And I told my wife, I'm like, man, I am. I think I'm over this. I stay in shape, but <laughs> my game is – what game I ever had is gone. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I went in, and my body hurt for two days, <laughs> but I loved it. And I, I connected with those kids in a way I wouldn't have. If I hadn't sacrificed and just done it, something important to him with his friends. So really, I just ask people listening, who are the young people that are already in your life? And what are some simple, practical ways you can sacrifice to just begin to build that relationship with them? And I think the opportunities are there if we open up our eyes, shift our priorities, and just ask, how do we step into the lives of this generation? And, and Jeremiah, I'll tell you this: we we have tried also. We know that there's, this is two sides, right? And in the mm-hmm. end, all relationship without the, uh, leveraging it for truth claims, 
doesn't really do it, get the job done either. So what we try to do in the book is to provide you with dozens and dozens of practical ways yeah. to initiate the kinds of conversations in the context of your everyday life with your kids or in that setting as a pastor or a teacher in which you can leverage the relationships you've built and then turn them toward the truth of the gospel, toward the truth of the Christian worldview, to, even toward being able to answer the objections that these kids are encountering online and with their other friends. We want to be able to do that, so we've given you practical tools in the book, I hope, that will help you leverage your relationships and turn them into opportunities for truth. Good on you both. You absolutely have, and thank you both for these great insights. I'm looking right now. My book's open to page 85, and if you're a parent, here's the tip. Maximize your meal time. And these gentlemen discuss how important it is to maximize that time when we come together with our children over meals. Uh, this is something I've seen. We've had some of the most dynamic conversations over meals in the Johnston home. Now, it's always there's always interruptions. We've got five kids and triplets who are learning to talk, but that is a sacred time for us. And, Sean, while you were talking, I was just thinking of 2 Timothy 1.5, when Paul notates this, this thing about owning the next generation, loving the next generation, sacrificing, reaching for the next generation. What did Paul say to Timothy? I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Isn't it great that Timothy, we don't read about his dad or his granddad, or at least Paul doesn't mention them. Paul does mention this, this passing on a legacy of faith, through the grandmother Lois, the mother Eunice, and now lives in Timothy. And friends, I can attest to this. Uh, I almost left the faith at 18 years of age at Liberty University, and it was my mom coming to meet with me, and I've shared this publicly many times, over a 1,042-mile drive home when I don't know which mile marker it was, but I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ through a series of just dynamic conversations. I had a mom that was willing to press her faith into me, and I'm so grateful for that. Friends, we've got to jump to a 90-second break. Sean McDowell, Jay Warner Wallace, it's going way too fast, isn't it? Stay with us. We're going to finish this next segment coming up. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. What a dynamic conversation we are all enjoying with Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell, who've been so kind and generous with their with their time on this program. Friends, definitely subscribe to the show. Like it. Thanks so much for all the great reviews and share it with your friends. I want to remind you, uh, every time we broadcast, we create a blog as well that is available on social media. You can share this. Friends, we do this as a, as a ministry to you. We, we exist to equip you to contend for the faith with confidence. And we are highlighting today a dynamic book. Great job, guys. It's published by David C. Cook, So the Next Generation Will Know. And if you've missed any of the previous, if you're just joining us right now on Faith Radio Network, we're really talking about reaching Generation Z. Those born, as Jim Wallace just said, between the year 2000 and 2015, the best tactics, engagement principles for winning them for Jesus Christ. Um, Jim, I want to start, um, and I want to talk to both of you, Jim and Sean. I love chapter four. And by, by the way, friends, if you missed, again, what he said earlier, each chapter starts with the word love. It's so creative, guys. I love it. Uh, but chapter four, love equips. You really discuss, Jim, can, and for the benefit of our audience, we have a lot of new Christians that listen to this. Can you define worldview for a moment, what everyone has one, what a biblical worldview is? And then I want to talk to you, uh, Sean, after that about how we do this in our family. 
Yeah, it, it, uh, I'll just tell you that, that, that this is something that we I focused on as a youth pastor, um, and that's why we wrote a whole chapter on this. Is how do you how do you give kids a worldview that actually will bring significance into their lives? And worldviews are simply the way, the lens through which we filter all the data we perceive in our experience of the world. And it usually answers, you know, three important questions: How do we get here? Why is it so messed up? How did it? How, how is it broken? And then how do we fix that? How do we fix that? And that 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 is every worldview answers those questions of origin, of what is the predicament, and then finally, what is the resolution to this? And so in, in Christianity, we have a very specific answer to those three questions. You know, we're the special creation of a holy God, created in his image. That's going to mean that we have certain responses to that origin, that origin account, how do we get here, that change the way we see ourselves. Two, we know that we're, the, what's broken is that we are fallen. We are rebellious by nature. Uh, we are also living in an equally fallen universe on an equally fallen planet, right? It groans and suffers the pains of childbirth, according to Romans 8, 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're sinful, and that's why we're separated from God. That's the thing that needs to be fixed. And so the so resolution is that all creation is eventually going to be restored and reunited with God. Through what? Through Christ, through Jesus, who's paying the price for our sin on the cross. Now, that is the, the, the way we see the Christian, the, we see the world around us. But every, if you're a Marxist, you have ideas about how do we get here. It's probably through some evolutionary process. What is broken? What's well, probably the uh, inequality, and the, the fiscal inequality of people? And, and how do you fix that? You redistribute wealth. So there's every worldview has answers to those three questions. But it turns out that the Christian worldview can provide for our young people a worldview that gives life meaning in a way that's unique to the Christian worldview. Mm. And, and I think it's part of what we have to do is help them to see that, they, that whether they think so or not. Even today, they're holding a worldview, even if they aren't even giving it any thought. And then, but the question is how closely aligned is how they see the world today with the way that the Christian worldview describes it. And I, what I love about Christianity as an investigator, and I wasn't a Christian until I was 35. I didn't, have, didn't even know Christians in my life. Mm. But what I loved was finding out that the Christian worldview accurately described the cases I was working. It described the nature of humans that I was investigating. It described the world the way it really is. And for me, that was one of those pieces of evidence that I actually used to make a decision about whether or not Christianity was true. So good. And uh, just while you're talking, I mean, every worldview has eschatology, too, Jim. I mean, even the communist (laughs) believes that the world is coming to some kind of end in their belief system. And guys, I want to share with you just something that happened. It was a first for me. And in my experience, I was speaking to a group of students at Florida Gulf Coast University in January. I guess they're Florida's fastest growing university. And just talking about how important Chapter 4 is, and so the next generation will know, everyone has a worldview who's listening to us right now. And this university student has been pounded with naturalism, pounded with secular humanism. This young man walks up to me, and he looks at me, he said, Jeremiah, I am unlovable. I am unlovable. I don't believe I'm worthy to be loved. I have never had someone say something like that to me. And we, had, we sat and had the greatest conversation about, yes, how he is lovable. He's made in the special image of God. God alone has, longs for him and has a great love and plan for his life. But that's what was happening to these students. And I mean, I don't think it's any accident that suicide rates are at an all-time high in our country because we live in a culture of despair, and it's because there's a certain worldview that says you might not have the right to live anymore. It becomes a very scary place in a world without God, and I think that's why this, point, this whole point, and I, I love this worldview triangle 
on page 84, where you really discuss how we can, how everyone has one, how we can actually adopt the Christian worldview. But Sean, you also talk about Sean McDowell, Jesus taught, and you use the definite article, the worldview. I mean, the <laughs> the right one. Um, how, how? What do we learn from Jesus, and then how do you do this in your own home with equipping biblical worldview? You know, that's a powerful story you shared, Jeremiah, about this young man coming up to you saying, I don't think I'm lovable. I mean, my heart breaks for that. And the way Jim and I frame it in the book, which I'm utterly convinced is true, is that there's a worldview component. Somehow this person has adopted a belief system that says he doesn't have intrinsic dignity and value Mm -hmm. and worth. But second, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I almost guarantee you in this person's life, you find broken relationships with Mm -hmm. a father, with a friend, with peers. It's both. It's relationally and it's worldview. So we make a mistake if we say we want to pass our faith, just build relationships. That's a mistake. It's also a mistake if we say we just got to pound truth into these kids, but don't do it lovingly and meet their relational needs. That's That's why in the worldview triangle – At the bottom of it, we have relationships. So, for example, as you know, the way we view our Heavenly Father is deeply shaped by how we relate to our earthly fathers. We have to make this worldview connection to relationships. So, practically speaking for me, here's – well, here's two ways to think about it. Number one is Jim and I recommend a lot of different approaches in the book. One is just as simple as as Jim mentioned earlier, send your kids to Summit. I mean, Summit Mm -hmm. is a 12-day – worldview training for young people. So some parents and leaders listening feel like, I don't know what this is. I don't understand all the worldviews. What do we do? And I say, just send your kids to Summit. That's right. And both Jim and I sacrifice to speak for them because what they're doing is unique. But on the other hand, there's little things that all of us can do. So, for example, my son is 15. He's just wrapping up his freshman year in high school. And a few months ago, he expressed interest in seeing this movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is about the uh, rock group Queen. And I was a little hesitant because I know some of the ideas that are embedded in and it's PG-13, has some ideas of sexuality. Read some about it, and I, I got an idea. I said, okay, son, I'll take you and a friend whose parents approve. We'll go watch it. If you're just willing when we're done to come back at the dinner table, we'll just sit down and talk about it. For 20 or 30 minutes. That's it. I just want to know what you think and reflect on it. He goes, mm. sure. So they go to the movie, and it was actually a pretty well done movie. I enjoyed it. And then we came home, and we just talked. I didn't lecture at him. I asked mm. some questions. What did you like? What did you not like? What was positive in the movie? Did you see any moments where you felt like the movie was preaching at you? How did they portray religion? How is God viewed in this? And as Jim said, we walked through the levels of redemption. What, what was the problem in the movie? How did they solve it? How does this match up with a Christian worldview? And we simply talked about it. So what we're encouraging parents to do in the book, like you said at the mealtime, Jeremiah, is just open our eyes up and see the opportunities that are in front of us and just try to leverage them without exasperating our kids. We don't want to go too far. I think (laughs) that's a mistake. On the other hand, we could talk about that. But more strategically use the opportunities that are there Number one, to build a relationship, but number two, to teach our kids truth. Friends, we're just scratching the surface. You've got to buy this book. In fact, you need to buy one for your pastor, your youth pastor. You need to buy one for your neighbor. It's called So the Next Generation Will Know. Sean McDowell, Jay Warner Wallace, they've given the church a gift. I I love it. I I love everything you all are saying. 
Uh, we only have about three and a half, four minutes left. Jim, I have not put you on the hot seat of my program as I have Sean. Oh, um, okay. And I don't. I think I might have even forgot to mention this to you. So, so for, ask for forgiveness later, right? But um, right. there's right. no wrong answer. Uh, I ask all of my wonderful thinkers who come on this program because this program really, really, the, the birth of this program is trying to answer everyone's unanswered questions. But some of us, we, we all, I, I think it's helpful. As I said to Sean, I think vulnerability is the new superpower to reach people. I ask every guest on my program if they could ask Jesus any question right now, what would it be? Or is there an unanswered question? Perhaps you've already answered it or transcended it. But it's just been delightful for me to catalog now the unanswered questions of all of our amazing guests. So, Jim, Jay uh, Hunter Wallace, if you had an unanswered question, if you could ask Jesus anything, would you be willing to share that with our audience? Well, it's gonna, yeah, I am, but it's probably going to sound pretty geeky, right? But most no, of my unanswered questions. There's no wrong questions, answer, and I don't try to answer yeah. it either. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I, and a lot of it is what we talk about when we're on the porch at Summit, answering questions for students, right? Whenever we do a college or whenever we do a university or whenever we do Summit, there will be an open time of Q&A, about an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. And I get all kinds of questions. And the ones that are the hardest to answer are the ones that I think are the non-essentials, those, those gray yeah. areas that the church has always been wrestling with. So, so you know, I, have, I always say that the, some of the first questions I'm going to have when I stand in front of God, when I stand in front of Jesus, will be issues related to Genesis 1. How mm-hmm. exactly did that work out? How exactly? Yeah. Because there's been lots of debate in the history of Christianity about how to interpret Genesis 1. And I, I fall in one of those categories, but I, I, I always hold with an open hand because I'm waiting for sure. God to tell all of us you were all kind of right and all kind of wrong. Uh, based on how you interpreted that. Also, questions about, for example, the, how we leverage the sovereignty of God versus the free agency of man. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of struggles there, from the Arminianist all the way to the Calvinist perspective. And where you land on that is something that I want to be. I want to hear that from God, so I know uh, where to fall on those issues. And it's almost always a non-essential. That, that, of course, you know, I say it's non-essential, but most people who feel adamant about these things would say, oh, no, it actually is an essential. Well, that's why I want to talk to ask God those questions and get those from him. So I will tell students, okay, here's the spectrum of historic answers to that question and where you fall, because in the, most of these things they ask, I'll be honest about theology, have nothing to do with – they're not in the creeds. They're yeah, not the things exactly. that are creedal questions or the things that are left out of the creeds. And that's the stuff that I want an answer to because I, yeah. we've been arguing about that for 2,000 years. But I'd love to – <laughs> so my questions are always in those categories. So good. So great. Um, and Sean, I want to ask you to answer something. Um, and I know you all do this every week of your life. Um, people submit questions for this program and for Christian thinkers at AskJJJ.com. And as Jim just said, I mean, the majority of the, the heartfelt questions that I receive, Sean, these are people who are struggling in their marriage. They're struggling with pornography. They're struggling to connect with their kids. They're struggling. I answered a question in our last broadcast, just what do I do with unanswered, you know, or excuse me, with unconfessed sin in my life. They're, they're much more practical trying to connect with God. And they're, they're not so much of these elitist kind of I'm going to try to find the unanswerable question and stump you. They're not the Bible. Why do you think that is? What do you think that says about the church today and about our need to reach them? You know them? what? My experience, I'll teach on intelligent design, I'll teach on, say, transgender ideology, I'll teach on the reliability of scriptures. Almost every question, 75%, are personal questions. Mm. And I don't think that's a timely reality. I think that's the way human beings are. We filter truth through our relationships. 
how does this affect me? And, you know, all three of us here are professors, and we think academically. And that's okay. That's how God wired us. That's our contribution to church. But sometimes we forget that a lot of people are listening, and the lens is, okay, why does this matter? How does this affect my Mm. relationships with people? And how do I deal with the hurt in my own life and help with other people who are hurting? I don't think that has anything to do with where we're at in the culture. I think that has to do with human nature. So it shapes the way I talk about the problem of evil. Yes, I need to address it philosophically and apologetically and theologically, but I also have to address it pastorally because I think most people who ask, why does God allow evil and suffering, is not asking for a logical response as important as that is. They're just looking at the world and their life saying, why do I hurt? Why are things broken? Where is God in my struggle? Why doesn't he answer this prayer? So I think it's just a reminder that as much as we teach truth is vital, we've got to connect this to where people are at and show that this truth really does transform the way we live in relation to God, relation to other people, and our understanding of who we are in terms of our self-image. These are excellent questions, excellent responses from Jay Warner Wallace and Sean McDowell. And friends, just to just to put tie a bow on it, I mean, it's, I'm fascinated as a historical Jesus scholar in the life of Christ, as we have recorded in the Scripture. We really only have 22 parts of 22 to 23 days of the life of Jesus. I mean, just let that set in for a moment. This individual who transformed the world, we have only parts of about three weeks of his whole life, and he was asked. Hundreds of questions in the Gospels, and Jesus, as being the Son of God, and we know in Luke he confounded those with his wisdom, but as Sean and Jim have said, he answered in the most practical of ways and the most transformational of ways. He didn't unload his seminary education in a two-minute conversation. This is what I love about the way in which Jesus sets the example for faith conversations. The other fascinating thing, guys, and I think it continues to be a message to seminaries today, so often we have conversations in higher education that no one is having in the real world. And so, yes, we need to have those conversations, but as you all have both said, we need to balance those. And whatever it's worth, friends, there's 3,200-plus questions in the Bible. There's 7,487 promises. So for every question in the Bible, there's around two promises in the Scripture from God to us. Guys, what a great conversation. Man, it has gone by way too fast. We've literally got to jump. Uh, but friends, the book is published by David C. Cook. It's So the Next Generation Will Know. Get this in your library. Jay Warner Wallace, Sean McDowell, you guys are gems. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for the sacrifices you make to be on the front of the lines uh, for our faith. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being on the program today. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for Appreciate having us. So much. All right, friends, we'll be back with some quick closing comments after this break. Welcome back to the final segment of today's broadcast, and we only have about two minutes. I wanted to leave plenty of time to discuss as much as we could uh, about reaching the next generation for the gospel. But I want to go right to Sarah's question. She's emailed me, what is the most important tactic or the most helpful way to reach a non-Christian for Jesus Christ. Well, Sarah, we've been talking about that a lot, connecting with people that don't know Jesus. But here's, I think, the most immediate step. And again, I've got to do this in less than two, two minutes. Sharing your personal transformation with Jesus Christ is the 
most effective method for reaching a friend or a family member with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many Christians have never actually sat down and wrote out their testimony. So first and foremost, you want to make sure that you check your notes. You want to make sure that you're effective at not rambling, but sharing your own personal story of transformation through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul did this throughout the book of Acts. And here's a little tidbit for you, Sarah. He only spent about 20%. If you add up all the times and places where he shared his testimony in the book of Acts in the New Testament, he only focused about 20% on his life before meeting Jesus. 80% is on what Jesus meant to him in that moment and how Jesus had utterly transformed his life. So sometimes we can get a little out of balance. We can talk too much about our life before Christ and not enough about our life with Christ. And so I think, Sarah, that is the most effective method for engaging someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ is being an effective truth teller in your own life, being affected. Hey, you might not have a Bible education. You might be better for that, but you should be able to be effective at sharing how Jesus Christ utterly transformed your life. So I hope that helps you, Sarah. Thanks so much. And again, friends, all those of you joining on this program, you can submit your question to me directly, askjjj.com. That's A-S-K. JJJ.com. And I want to encourage you also to share this program. Remember, we create blogs, as I already mentioned, every single week for these programs. They are archived. Check them out. Share them. Share them with your pastors. Share them with your Bible study communities. I am so grateful to God that we have answers for our faith. Aren't you? And that's what this program is all about. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from The Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.